Spirit Radio Podcasts. Now, the night, the, the site, I should say, for the new National Maternity Hospital has hardly been out of the news over the last week. Every single day, it's on the front pages. The owners of the site for the new hospital are the Sisters of Charity, and they have come in for plenty of criticism. Uh, they've been there have been board res- resignations uh, from the the St. Vincent's uh, management board that owns and runs the hospital there, and even calls for ministers to resign over this new maternity hospital. But what's it all about? What is actually going on? What ethical positions are at stake? On the line now to tell us more, we have columnist with the Irish Independent, David Quint. David, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, well, first of all, could you... Have have the sisters of charity been treated fairly with all the the coverage that's going on? Uh, it all it all kicked off, didn't it, with Dr. Peter Boylan uh, objecting to the idea that this would be given to the nuns, as he put it, this new hospital. Well, uh, I mean, after have the sister charity been treated fairly? Uh, no, they haven't. I mean, the amount of demonisation uh, that has gone on has been just epic. Um, the Sisters of Charity were involved in the running of some of those magnet laundries, um, and so that is obviously a dark chapter in their history, but it's passed off as kind of representative of absolutely everything they've done over their 200-year history, and that nothing else that they've ever done is to be counted in the balance. So we're looking simply at, uh, at that chapter in their history and nothing else, and they have been judged against that chapter and only that chapter. I don't think any of us would want to be judged simply by the bad things that we have done in our life, or any organisation, any religion, any nation, any civilization, any society, would want to be judged only by the dark chapters in their history. So that's what we're doing here. Now, in respect of this story, I mean, there's a certain uh, amount of mystery to it, really, because the um, deal between Hollis Street, which is where the hospital is now, um, and St. Vincent's, uh, which is the campus upon which the new one will be built, was struck and announced last November. And at that point, it was announced that the company which will operate the new maternity hospital will be 100% owned by St. Vincent's Hospital Group. So it was announced last November, and that St. Vincent's Hospital Group is owned by the Sisters of Charity. So this story was announced last November to absolutely no fuss whatsoever, including from the Peter Boylans of the world. And he abstained, apparently, during that vote. Then months later... Uh, the thing suddenly finds its way into the headlines. Now, the first mention I can see of it is uh, April 20th in the Irish Times, um, the headline being Sisters of Charity to be given new National Maternity Hospital. Now, why, didn't, why that didn't dawn on journalists um, several months before is beyond me. But what caused the initial fuss was the apparent fact that the Sisters of Charity had not paid their promised amount to the redress board that's compensating um, victims of abuse in the various um, institutions, including those run by the Sisters of Charity. It was three million outstanding. And so this struck people as just, you know, utterly wrong that an order with owed money should be receiving ownership of this new National Maternity Hospital. It has subsequently transpired, by the way, that the Sisters do not, in fact, owe the state any money because they are waiving the legal fees they are owed from participating in the whole redress board uh, scheme and the commission of inquiry, and that runs to more than three million. So they actually owe the redress board nothing. Uh, that's hardly been publicised at all, by the way. Mm. I mean, to my mind, if a big story breaks and the story turns out to be false, you have got to give that equal coverage to your original breaking of the story. Um, and that hasn't happened. And so the public is operating under a misapprehension um, as to what actually is going on here. All that said, 
I mean, the question still arises, is it appropriate that um, the Sisters of Charity should own this new National Maternity Hospital? They will own it, but not run it. It has been repeatedly said they'll have no operational or clinical control over it. But this is something the likes of Dr. Peter Boylan and one or two others like Dr. Christopher Patrick deny. The current master of the current National Maternity Hospital, Rona Mahoney, almost the entire board, most of the doctors working at the hospital seem to think it will have complete clinical control, uh, at least complete clinical independence, and so do most of the people. In fact, all the people at St. Vincent's think the same thing. <clears throat> but I actually don't think it is appropriate that the, um, uh, uh, that the hospital will be on land owned by the nuns because it is possible in a few years' time we might repeal the Eighth Amendment, uh, the Pro-Life Amendment. That might happen next year. I hope it doesn't. <clears throat> I don't think it will. I think in the end Irish people will vote to keep it. But let's say we voted against, um, uh, against the Eighth Amendment. <clears throat> we would then have abortions taking place on a routine basis in Irish maternity hospitals, as they do in Britain. In other words, these hospitals will be delivering babies on one floor and aborting them on another floor. And to me, it is highly inappropriate that um, abortions would be taking place in a hospital um, that's built on grounds owned by an order of nuns. Hmm. Well, it's. I just want to ask you a, little, a, a question. The, the timing of this, you mentioned November, it's is it a little bit interesting? The timing of this uh, this story breaking was around the same time the Citizens Assembly was voting on the whole issue of repealing the Eighth Amendment, isn't it? I don't want to get too conspiratorial because it's impossible to prove conspiracies. Um, uh, I mean, you know, the thing did re-break, as it were, at the same time as that. Um, mm. I'll just let that fact just, you know, sit there. Um, I'm not going to say uh, that it's deliberate because I have absolutely no proof of that. Um, so I, I don't know what the answer to that question. Right. And and this whole idea, I mean, you wrote in the Irish Independent about um, the ethos of hospitals, and I find this interesting. I know, I know Michal Martin a few weeks ago said that hospitals owe their ethos more to medicine uh, than to, to faith or religion. But uh, that seems that seems quite an extraordinary statement, doesn't it? I mean, surely the whole. Uh, I mean, we have we have the idea that healthcare is is very much based in 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 ethical standpoints as well, don't well, we? I mean, everybody would want to go into a hospital that has ethics, um, and you know, you can't have medicine uh, taking place and being operated and doctors and nurses operating in an ethical vacuum. Like nobody would. Um, uh, agree with that, including Hall Martin. So he would obviously want the hospital to have an ethos, to have a, and have an ethic, to do things ethically. Uh, and then the question becomes, what ethic? Um, and, and that's the only question here. What, by what ethic should a hospital be governed? Um, now, in a way, the whole thing about the Catholic Church here is a distraction, because people can't seem to think straight when the Catholic Church uh, is brought into a discussion. Because all the history is brought up and all the worst chapters in the Gallic Church's history are brought up, people can't see straight anymore. I was making a point on another radio show last week that even if the Gallic Church didn't exist, never existed. If Christianity had never existed, the question would still arise, what should be the governing ethic of a hospital? And to my mind, the governing ethic should above all be a pro-life one rather than a pro-choice one. That the governing ethic of a hospital should be a very simple one, do not kill that is to say, no patient that enters our doors, whether unborn, old, or infirm, will ever be deliberately killed. I mean, that seems to me to be a pretty basic medical ethic. And I hope all the listeners would agree with that. But we're moving increasingly towards an attitude that actually, in the name of choice, 
it is permissible sometimes to kill unborn human beings, and then at the other end of life, to kill the old and infirm in the form of assisted suicide if they request it. And sometimes if they don't, because this is what's happening increasingly in the, in the Netherlands and Belgium, mm. that even when they don't want uh, to receive a lethal injection, it is sometimes happening. So that means you will go, you know, in the future, you'll be going into hospitals that deliberately violate the ethic, never kill one of your patients, unborn, old, or infirm. And people are criticizing the Catholic medical ethics as in some way barbaric. Well, you know, an ethic that violates the precept, do not kill. I think that speaks for itself. I mean, in terms of which is worse, I think there's no question an ethic that violates the principle, do not kill, is infinitely worse than Mm. anything you might say about Catholic medical ethics, which in the end comes down to objections about Catholic hospitals not performing tubal ligations and sterilization and gender reassignment surgery and so on. It, it is an argument about about what what I design. I mean, it seems to be an argument between values and and the and the the discussion about rights. What about rights, David? I mean, people will always say this: people should have these rights, the rights to have things happen to them under the care of of a state which grants those rights. Should the well, hospital do it? Well, I mean, like just because somebody wants something doesn't mean it's a right. I mean, desires can't automatically be transferred and translated into rights. You've got to look at what is desired. And so obviously in the case of abortion, what is desired is um, that the pregnancy be terminated. That is, the life um, that's in the womb be terminated. So that is the right, in inverted commas, being demanded. Now, this gets us obviously into the whole argument about, about, about conflicting rights here. But I mean, I would have thought the right of the human being in the womb in that case is paramount. That's what anybody else who holds to a kind of pro-life ethos in this debate holds as well. And then at the other end, when it comes to assisted suicide, a person says, I have a right to die. And then they say that's a purely private decision. Well, I mean, is it? Because what's happening again in countries like Belgium and the Netherlands is um, assisted suicide is becoming more and more widespread. It is changing the norms around death and dying. Um, it is increasingly the case that people faced with certain conditions say, well, you know what, the thing to do here is uh, accept a lethal injection. And, and, and norms have a way of exerting pressure. Um, I was speaking actually to somebody I was happened to be in Brussels a few weeks ago, and um, uh, Belgian doctors were telling her that um, when very elderly parents are brought into emergency rooms in Belgian hospitals um, and uh, you know, are very ill, that you sometimes have the children saying, well, isn't it time for the lethal injection? Wow. And you have, you know, you have oncologists coming under pressure to do the same thing. Uh, I, heard, I heard a doctor at one point uh, who's from Belgium, he's an oncologist himself, saying he does not provide lethal injections, and he's under pressure from doctor colleagues to do so, because they feel that it's unfair that he is not accepting his fair share of allocating and, uh, and administering lethal injections. So whole new norms get created. Um, and so you'll have hospitals and people will enter them, and, uh, you know, and they'll be very sick and old and infirm and unwell, and they'll be wondering, what awaits me in here? Mm. And that's not scaremongering, because it is happening now in the hospitals of those countries. Um, in the last few days, by the way, uh, the Brothers of Charity in Belgium that run psychiatric hospitals have said they will now conduct assisted suicide. This is in Catholic psychiatric hospitals, run by the Brothers of Charity and said they will provide assisted suicide and euthanasia under certain circumstances from now on. 
So we see how the culture that's increasingly succumbs to such an ethic, including, including, as I say in this case, Catholic psychiatric services. This is appalling. And this is what we don't want to see in this country. Um, uh, you know, you would hope that, uh, you know, that Irish hospitals today and forevermore will continue to hold to the precept, never deliberately kill one of your patients. Hmm. Uh, I, I know we're short on time. I just wanted, David, to get uh, your, your, uh, a quick view on the Citizens' Assembly from your perspective. Obviously, uh, the result of the voting that went on in the Assembly uh, was extremely different to the polls that we've seen from the general public. What's your view on, the, on how this, the Assembly was conducted? Well, I just thought it was telling that today that the pro-life groups were in, along with the explicitly pro-choice groups, to um, have their few minutes uh, to make a presentation. When it came down to question time, almost all of the challenging and difficult questions by, you know, posed by the delegates were fired at the pro-life side. For example, there wasn't a single question from any of the delegates that asked any of the people there on the pro-choice side, what is the moral status of the unborn? Um, what do you think the gestational um, limits should be in terms of when you permit abortion? I mean, what about the aborting of Down syndrome babies um, when the mother is perfectly healthy and her life is not in danger? None of these questions were asked by the delegates, so that told me straight away where this was going. I mean, well, it's I pretty think obvious 80% anyway. voted for, 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 for abortions uh, for any, any sort of uh, sick child, didn't they? About 80% uh, they voted, family. they were asked... Um, Okay, so in cases where the baby has a fetal abnormality that is not fatal, so that would be something like Down syndrome, mm. should we permit abortion? 80% said yes. 80%. That's way, way different from the public at large. So 80% said yes, you can abort in those cases. And the great majority of them said either up to 22 weeks or up to birth. Okay? Mm. So right. a significant percentage of the delegates said you can abort Down syndrome babies right up to birth. That's, the, that's what that they is, have in the is UK, remember. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, beyond a certain point in seven months, I think less than that actually, the baby is viable and can live outside the womb and they still say, no, you can abort up to birth. Mm. So I think the government wanted them to um, come up with, um, you know, supposedly middle of the road uh, kind of um, proposals like abortion in cases of rape, incest and uh, life-limiting conditions, but the, they, um, the assembly completely overshot and went towards a law that is probably even more permissive than the one that exists in Britain and kills 200,000 unborn children every year. Yeah, or has, has killed 9 million people to date. Well, mm-hmm. Anyway, David, uh, very very interesting to speak to you this morning. Thank you for joining Thank us. You. That's David Quinn, a columnist for the Irish Independent. Thanks for listening to our Spirit Radio podcast. Don't miss out. Subscribe today. Find out how at spiritradio.ie.